Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East. And Andy Ferguson. We were gifted two new films to discuss this week. Wow. We'll sling a couple rounds of five good questions as Noah will ask me about my experience with the French astronaut film Proxima, while I'll grill him on one of Netflix's newest horror flicks, His House. From there, we'll dive into our choices for the best news slash media theme films of all time. Surely it's a much more promising crop to select from than last week's president films, right? Hopefully, that remains to be seen. And that leads us into the throwback challenge in which listener Eric Sperlin tasked us with the 2015 psychic serial killer flick Solace, starring Anthony Hopkins and Colin Farrell. So, um, we don't have a new president yet. We don't, no. And um, depending on who you ask, we don't even have a new president-elect yet. But <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm still just feeling a little bit more optimistic about the future. You know, how could you not? I mean, we're just going to stick with that mindset. There's no yeah. reason not to. One of the reasons I have an optimistic mindset about the future is I think we have one hell of an episode on our hands. The immediate future. All right. I like it. Let's just think about the immediate future. Well, we promised to have two new films to discuss this week, and we kept our promise. Even though Let Him Go was only available in theaters, and we're not quite ready to make that leap just yet. We've got two rounds of five good questions locked and loaded for you, starting with the film that Andy took in, an astronaut drama starring Eva Green and Matt Dillon, directed by Alice Winokur. I'm about to girl Andy about Proxima. Proxima. All right, Andy, <clears throat> let's get started. Uh, Eva Green. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, she's the star of this film, and uh, I've seen her in only a few things, um, especially the American stuff that she's done has been heavily Tim Burton stuff, and you already know that yeah. how I feel about that. Um, early on, when I first started dating my girlfriend, almost five years ago, uh, we watched Penny Dreadful, which um, is aptly titled because that show is dreadful. Um, but oh. she's not bad in it. Um, I just know that she's she's really misused in a lot of things, especially um, American things. Now, this is a French film, predominantly. I know there's multiple languages spoken. How is she used in this, and do you think she acquits herself well? Yeah, I would agree entirely with the fact that she's been misused in American cinema. Pretty much across the board, it's hard to even think of an American movie where she's not left out hanging to dry. Um, she's never bad, but she's in a lot of bad things in American cinema. Um, this is more something to showcase what she has to offer. Um, yeah, in this film, she plays an an astronaut, a French astronaut, preparing to embark on a year-long stint uh, it, it, it basically a a long journey to prepare to embark to the moon, um, and the but this movie is not necessarily about that necessarily. It's 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 um more concerned with the relationship between her and her eight year old daughter in this movie, um, and she acquits herself very well in this movie. Yes, and she it reminded me of 
the first time I had ever seen her in a film a long time ago at this point. Um, I think 2003 was the first time I remember seeing her. I saw it in the theaters, the Bernardo Bertolucci film, The Dreamers, with her and um, Michael Pitt at the time. Huh. Um, she was excellent in that. Again, not an American movie, but <laughs> um, she's yet to find the right fit with an American director. But this is another reminder that she is quite effective um, when when she sees eye to eye with the director. We'll say that. Yeah, I, I've never seen her play a mom before or a parent or anything. So that, same. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. That's something that uh, that I don't know that she's ever done before. Possibly not. I can't think of one. <laughs> But uh, the relationship between her and her daughter in this film, um, this actress, um, I, I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly. She's a French, uh, eight-year-old French actress, Zélie Boulant. Um, they have a, a lot of scenes together by themselves in this movie. And the, the little girl handles herself quite well in this. So moving on, the last time we saw Matt Dillon, he was a serial killer. <laughs> And yeah, uh, you famously did not care for um, the house that Jack built. Yeah, um, I think I'm multiple times on record saying I am not a Matt Dillon fan at all. How does he acquit himself in this film? I like him more than you. Overall, true. Partly because I like the 80s a lot, and that's where he kind of came up mm -hmm. and in Gus Van Sant's drugstore cowboy. He's very good. I, I, I think I'll stand by that. But, um, yeah, the house that Jack built, I think I had more of a Von Trier problem than a Dylan problem. I think Dylan was good in it and it kind of fit his kind of, uh, almost lifeless wooden. His very stoic. Personality. It's just, it's, it's part of his personality. It's not necessarily yeah. that he's bad. I, I see past it. I see it as a, he uses that to, in effect a lot of times in this he plays the only american only american act he's the only american character in this movie he's kind of like the the head of the of the team that's going to, to embark on this mission and he he embodies the typical american dickhead in a movie like this pretty well i mean he knows what he he kind of knows what he needs to be in this. And he, I'd say he's pretty good. Um, it, it, it kind of has an arc. His character has an arc that you can predict is very hard nosed and kind of sexist towards her at first because she's a woman in a very male heavy profession. Um, but, and you know, he's, you can kind of tell he's going to soften as the movie goes along. Typical kind of thing, but the movie is so minimal and free of a lot of sensationalism that you expect from if an American made this kind of movie, you would expect a lot more score, a lot more swelling build up, a lot more, frankly, a lot more stuff within the astronaut world. This movie is more concerned with the intimate relationship between her and her daughter. But Dylan's good in this. Um, so we've seen a, a decent uh, handful of space themed films in the last year or so um high life um uh, uh, uh ad astra things like that first man yep first man um but i'm getting the sense that this has a lot more to do with like relationships and very little to do with actual space she just astronaut happens to be her profession and that's where we get the setup of 
of, you know, she's going away for a while. There's not a moment. I don't think this is a spoiler. There's not a moment in this movie that is in space. Got it. There's a lot. I will say though, there's a lot that goes into her work and how she prepares for her work trains for her work but it never once puts you in the ultimate goal of her job like it never puts you there it always kind of grounds you and makes it's really more focused on how this profession kind of puts a big strain on a person's personal life (laughs) it's kind of funny i was watching i was thinking i was thinking this is another movie where it's just like the movies keep telling you if you want to be an astronaut, don't have kids. Come on. Don't even have any ties of any kind. <laughs> yeah. Just be alone and do your thing. Otherwise, you're going to have so many more damn creases on your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't don't put that. Don't put yourself through that. So ha- had you heard of Alice Winokur before this? No, not at no. all. No. Tell me about uh it, does does she seem like somebody we should keep on her radar moving forward? Yes, from a stylistic yeah, absolutely standpoint. yeah. Um, and she's 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 very she reminds me in a way of kind of like Chloe Zhao, in that she's very kind of more interested in the subtleties. Never moves her camera in a lot of ways. Just kind of observes her her characters. Cares more about just being a witness to what's going on and not being flashy in any way, which I really appreciated in this movie. I I think if you go into this movie expecting an intimate character study, you will like it. If you go into it expecting a space movie, you're going to be let down. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I get why you would (laughs) some of the advertisements and the poster would lead you to believe that it's kind of like a a space mission movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And they, I get why they do it. They have to market it that way to have to draw more interest. Yeah, but I think um, <laughs> the majority of American audiences will be let down because they will be a little bit disappointed. But I don't think that Alice Winokur or Eva Green t- typically or necessarily care about that. It's obvious when you see this film. So it it seems like I ought to regret skipping the, this one this week. Um, so my last question would be: What did you give it? I think you should see it before we, you know, I'm not saying it is necessarily going to make a top 10 list or anything, but it is definitely an admirable piece of work. Uh, I give it a four. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So one of the better things to come out in a very light year. Sure. Yeah. Got yeah. It. Worth seeing for sure. Got it. All right. A last minute addition to the new film's docket of the week is a horror flick that has been steadily gaining more and more buzz since it was released the day before Halloween. I'll be sending five good questions Noah's way regarding his watch of Remy Weeks' Netflix original, His House. His House. Okay, His House, another movie like Proxima that a short time ago, I don't think either one of us had much of any kind of info on. Is that right? That is correct. All right. So I have not seen, read, heard of really anything about this film at all. So my, I guess my first question would be, would you categorize this as a horror movie? It is very much a horror movie. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Okay. is a horror movie. Okay. 
Yeah, it is. It is about um, a couple uh, who are Sudanese refugees, and they have escaped South Sudan and made it to England. And they are getting set up with temporary housing, and um, they're just very happy to be out of war-torn South Sudan. And the house that they are set up in typically um, would have multiple people in it, but for some reason. Right now, they get to have it to themselves, and it's a little dilapidated. And nobody had time to clean up, but they are just really great, grateful to to have it. But the house is haunted. It's a haunted house movie. It's a haunted house movie. Okay, um, and a lot of it is it is haunted by their grief and mistakes they've made, and um, a lot of other things along those lines. So this house basically anticipates them coming. Is um, is that correct? Either that or they brought something with them. I see. Okay. That kind of thing. Okay. So Netflix hasn't necessarily knocked it out of the park with this genre. They've done pretty well with some other films. Sure, but this but, horror has not been something Netflix has accepted. Right. You've probably seen more of their horror than I have. I think you've you watched The Haunting of what was it god hill house or something yeah like that. and bly manor they're both you've, you've seen bly manor as well yes don't get me started so you've seen more of their horror um how does this stack up how does this stack up in comparison does to, this put them in the right direction as a different direction it is a different direction and a lot of it's because it is um you know it is the, the two main characters are from south sudan um and so they're they're showing some diversity both in the director remy weeks um in the cast um this technically i believe is a british production so mm-hmm. it takes place in london um and i i'm impressed by the fact that this while it is horror is something that's very different as far as netflix's horror selections have been um and it's not jump scares for the most part um it's more meditative and um there's other than matt smith from doctor who mm-hmm. um there's nobody in this that you would recognize either and so i think that lends itself to not only feeling very original and unique but also it's not distracting because you have stars that you recognize that you're trying to believe that sounds to me like when we first saw the witch you know it was kind of yeah. like these people who are these people you know yeah this isn't anywhere near as good as the well the witch, okay though. all right um Sounds like you like it pretty well. Does anything in particular stand out in this movie? Writing, directing, cinematography, score, anything in particular stand out above the other? In this? Sure, yeah. Um, the two lead performances are excellent. They're really, really excellent. And they, they play off of each other in a really interesting way. Um, she is very scared and doesn't want to be there, even though she's grateful to no longer be in Sudan she doesn't see this as as her home and she doesn't feel welcome there whereas he is fighting tooth and nail to stay there and he's you know insistent that this is our house this is our home you know that kind of thing and so they play off of each other really really well um and especially the way that they deal with the themes of of grief of um contrition um you know recompense for your mistakes that kind of thing it's um it's a they're both very powerful performances from a dramatic and emotional point of view, as well as, you know, um, reacting to scary things as well. Um, I gotta tell you, this has one of the most beautiful shots 
in a film that I've seen all year. Whoa. It is a gorgeous looking shot um, that then starts, it starts out really, really beautiful and it kind of takes your breath away for a second and then it turns scary as hell. This particular scene, um, I, I, if I were making like a pick six of the best, just single beautiful looking shots of the year, this has got one of them. It's gorgeous. So I would also say that it really, really excels from a directing standpoint as well. Hmm. It's got some third act problems. That um, was that's what I was going to ask you next. Is this seems like the kind of movie that sets up really well, but how does it execute? in the final portion of the movie yeah it sets up really really well and it is genuinely scary this thing is actually really scary there were multiple moments where i was like oh my god oh my god oh my god you know um and i know i'm a bit of a i'm a bit a bit of a softy when it comes to that sort of thing i get scared pretty easy but um <laughs> but yeah there are some genuinely terrifying haunted house moments in this and it looks great um there's even this really interesting like I, what I had to believe was a homage to Barton Fink with this creepy wallpaper bit. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it does have some third act problems, at least tying the whole thing together, especially um, the theme of not only grief, but also um, atonement and things like that. Um, I like for the most part what they try to do. I just don't know if, if it's executed perfectly in the third act, but um I'm still actually very impressed by this. I was pretty surprised. Yeah, sounds like you're high on this. Yeah, I'm pretty high on this. In fact, I'm not sure. Do you, I haven't seen a whole lot of horror this year. I think the only thing that really comes to mind is The Lodge. This is every bit as good as that. I'm I'm not sure which of those is the best horror film of the year, but this is a contender for that spot for sure. It's a, it's a lower year on horror for what we've come to expect lately because mm -hmm. A24 has kind of like been the bar. Yeah. And they haven't really released much in that. No, they've not. Um, but um, I guess my last question is, should we have reviewed this last week? I mean, it would have been Halloween weekend. It would have been yeah, the this, right time to do it. This would have been the movie to review last week. Yeah, honestly, and we were preoccupied like the whole the country, whole country was. was. Yeah. Half of the world even. A lot lot more than the country, actually, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can see why this missed our radar, but uh, this is possibly the best horror film of the year so far it's okay. genuinely scary two really great central performances matt smith's not in it a ton but um he's really solid in it too playing i mean the only thing i've ever seen him in um is doctor who and it's like the only season of doctor seasons of doctor who that i've ever seen and then there's that oddly enough that film that he did with eva green called womb um, oh yes and i've not is, seen that <laughs> creepy um so you know, I don't have a whole lot to compare it to, but he's pretty solid in in these few handful of scenes that he's in. It's really a two hander, though. These these two main actors, okay. that are really terrific. It's it's a very emotional film as well. I'll put it on my radar. I'm giving it four stars. All right, two four star new films. Yeah, not what we were expecting at all. And even though we didn't see Let Him Go, I've heard that that's probably somewhere around the three and a half, four range as well. I've heard I've it's heard better than expected. Yeah, same here. So, um, you know, even though we're not hitting the theaters, there's still some pretty good stuff coming out. So, uh, all right. Well, we are going to take a break. But when we come back, we will pay respect to the journalists and TV personalities who've been working overtime this past week. We are ranking the six best films about the news. So stick around and we'll be back in 60 seconds. Yeah, yeah. 
I know. And, and you were flirting with her. It used to be really sweet. for round two welcome back since we are fresh off the heels of both a presidential pick six and an insane election week in our country we figured there's no better time than now to tackle our selections the six best news slash media themed films of all time why not double down on the inundation of the circus right yeah and uh, no better word for it. it has been a circus of course it has yeah so i guess we'll start with me as always yeah, I, I like that idea. Why yeah. Not? yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. So what's number six? Guess, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. It uh, was much better crop. Yeah. Shockingly much, much, much better. <sighs> I mean, my seven, eight, nine and ten films that aren't going to make this list were all really, really good. Probably films. better than most of the presidential films. Yeah. Um, at least a good crop of them. OK, um, I'm going to start out with a controversial choice. Oh, boy. Controversial because it's so low on the list. Oh, boy. Most people would say this is the best film of this kind. Uh-oh. I'm talking about All the President's Men. Wow. Number six for me. Damn near didn't make my list. Wow. And let me tell you why. Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman as Woodward and Bernstein are very good in this film. They're very good. But the direction by Alan J. Pakula, while good, and this being the deep in the heart of the era of cinema that's my favorite... I feel like this film still has a slight its obsession with being on the nose about the whole process is in a way because of the length slightly a bit of a boring movie in my opinion. I still think it's an influential movie very influential and a very important moment to be documented. But outside of these two performances in this movie, I don't consider this a absolute classic. I think it is a very good movie. I like Hal Holbrook as Deep Throat. I've always liked Hal Holbrook, who's still alive. God bless him. And still making movies. <laughs> Oddly enough. This guy is well into his 90s at this point. Yeah. He's inching to 100. Um, and yes, it is an essential movie for this category. So I could not leave it off. Um, honestly, I don't know how much more we can say about this. I don't want to go too long on it, but it's you know obviously the entire Watergate scandal and the investigation into that. This movie is an investigation through and through. Mm-hmm. Lots of scenes with no score whatsoever on the phone, making calls, lots of them. And I get it. It's the process. This movie's about the clinical you know, kind of blueprint of exactly how you investigate yeah. something as big as this. Well, I, I got to say, I'm a little surprised, especially for the reasons that you, that you're, you're st- saying that it fell so low because I know there's another film that's going to be on your list that I feel this is very, very similar to, and they're similar for those same reasons, but it mm. appears at least right now that you like that film for those reasons. And 
I don't want to say dislike, but for lack of a better word, like, I like it? this movie a lot. Yeah. Every movie on this list is a four, four and a half or five. Yes. So, I mean, this movie, I just felt like there's a, there's a coldness about it between it and its audience for me. I'm the audience that I was detached ever so slightly from it at times. And I'm not saying you need to have any kind of consistent somewhat, even if it's a very minimal score, this movie is very quiet at times in a way that I felt was just slightly off kilter for me. This but, is this is a big shock, especially coming from you, Mr. 70s mm-hmm. Cinema, mm-hmm. this being one of the most heralded films of the 70s. So it is, it we're, is. We're going to talk about it oh, yeah. a l- much, li- yeah. much more at length here yeah. in a little bit. I know. Because I have hella notes on it. All right. Um, my number six, talk about a change of pace. My number six is Adam McKay's directorial debut, Anchorman, <laughs> The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Wow. Uh, I wasn't going to leave this off the list. It is, <laughs> it is one of the most iconic comedies of this century. Um, it is Adam McKay's first film. It's kind of, that's kind of crazy, right? A little, a little crazy. What is it? 2004? 2004. Yeah. Um, it's just so funny. It's, it, it really is really funny. I rewatched it and it, it holds up like it's, it's pretty damn funny. Um, Farrell still says that this is his favorite uh, performance he's ever made. Um, so get this. You're going to love this. So an early version of the script was written like as a parody to the film Alive, the disaster film. Uh-huh. Um, in which, you know, he crashes the news team's plane and then they have to, <laughs> in the wilderness, they have to make their way back to civilization. There's like, there was like a subplot in which they were trying to escape from a, a group of ninja star wielding orangutans. Um. Yeah, there was supposed to be a musical number with sharks. Anyway, um, of all people, Paul Thomas Anderson was on board to help them out with producing this film. That doesn't surprise me. And then um, he was so taken aback by like the very bizarre nature of this rewrite that he left the production. Um, and then later on, lightheartedly said, you know, I, I blew that opportunity. So I don't know. Pretty funny. Um, also, John C. Riley attended an early read through for this, um, even though he didn't show up in the film. And he impressed Will Ferrell so much that that's why he got Talladega Nights. So, yeah. Um, it's iconic. It's very funny. There's lots of memorable di- uh, 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 lines that everybody loves to, that, to, to, to repeat ad nauseum today. Yeah. But um, I try not to hold that against it because it is a really consistently funny film and it's original and <laughs> I don't know. I, I It blows my mind that that this is Farrell's favorite character of his career. He's, it's the thing that he says, but by that metric, it's the thing that he's most proud of. I don't, I'm not surprised by that. I'm not, and I'm not surprised it's on your list. This is more controversy here. I've never been a huge fan of this movie. I like it. Not on the love side. I am on the side that thinks the sequel's better. And I know I'm in a minority wow. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not, Although I like some Will Ferrell films, I'm not a big Will Ferrell fan. So I think this is when this first came out, I was like kind of like anti-Ferrell. I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, not again, not this guy. Oh, because it was the whole Saturday Night Live bits. And I was just kind of just like personally for me, I was just like, I don't want to see any more of this guy right now. So I kind of held it against this movie. Yeah. And it's warmed. I've warmed up to it. You know me. Then. I'm much more of a Talladega Nights guy. than So an am I. Guy. Yeah. Well, and that you have so many more. 
supporting players that I mean there's supporting players in Anchorman too don't get me wrong oh absolutely but, I mean but, David but, Cochner and, and yeah. Steve Carell Paul and Paul Rudd I mean even Applegate's really funny she is it. she is uh, and, um, and it uh, must be said that they're all very good but then with Talladega Nights you get Riley and you get Sasha Baron Cohen and you get Amy Adams you get all these people even most Def shows up <laughs> true <laughs> a lot of people show up yeah Um. but um. yeah I don't blame you for putting on this list I don't all right moving on number five Number five for me is a movie that I rewatched, always liked. I would have considered it a classic the last time I watched it. This time, I still consider it very good. Not a classic necessarily. And that's James L. Brooks's broadcast news. That is my number five as well. Okay, perfect. So the reason this makes my list, first and foremost, is the not just the casting of the three people, Holly Hunter, William Hurt, and Albert Brooks, impeccable casting but the fact that they are all are it's impeccable because they are put in these roles that are ideal for their personalities i think william hurt especially i don't think he's the best in this movie of the three but he's put in a role where he gets to play a little bit more when he's put in something like we talked about not that long ago body heat Mm -hmm. he's more of like a sexy leading man in this he's kind of aloof which I like more. Yeah, he's not supposed to be super intelligent. He's just charismatic. He is. Know? And that's, and that's what, what you want what for takes this. takes him everywhere. And that's what you want for this guy who came from sports into mm-hmm. the news and mm-hmm. is unsure of himself, but still knows that, you know, he can talk good. He can he can ride. He can ride on that level. That yeah. one note, he can ride on it. Yeah. And it grates at people with higher intelligence so, in this so movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so while it's not, it might not be the best um, performance in the film, it might be the best casting in the film. I think it is actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because at this point we already knew that Albert Brooks could do this mode, oh, but yeah. he's the best in the film. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Holly Hunter though has never been better. Never uh, been better. No, she is phenomenal in this. And it's crazy to think that, um, she was the second choice for this. Deborah winger mm. was originally, I would love that too. She was originally cast in it and then she got pregnant mm. and couldn't do the film. And yeah. so that's when they brought in Holly. Hunter. She was just coming off of terms of endearment with James yeah. L. Brooks. Uh, Deborah winger was, I could have seen her in this too, but I'm glad that Holly Hunter got this chance. Look, man, seven Academy Award nominations for this film. Didn't win any of them. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. I think it's a little bit overlong. It has that about it. Mm-hmm. And and James L. Brooks, I've always had the one issue with him where some of the stuff is a little overdone. Some of the characters are a little too dramatic than they should be. Yeah, and that lends itself to a little bit of sappiness, too. It does. But man, there are moments of anguish from Albert Brooks in this movie. His intelligence and his wit and his when he's defeated and down and just like, oh man, when he loses to the dummy in this movie so many times. Especially the first time when he's sitting there j- trying not to watch the telecast <laughs> and ends up turning it on and then calling in and helping out. Uh, it's a great scene. I had never seen this before. This was a first time really? watch for me and I loved it. It's a delight to the point where I consider it now. I mean, it shot up my list of like all time great romantic comedies. Like it's, it, yeah, it be, would be on a, it would it, most likely make my list of romantic yeah, comedies. It's, it's yeah. high up there at least top 10. It's very good. Yeah. It's, it's very, good. it is very good. So that's all both three of these people. So that's both our number five. Yeah. So back to me. Yeah. Right on. Number four on your list of the best films about the news. Wow. I had to do some maneuvering because I had forgotten one movie earlier. So my list is like 
I'm looking at it right now and it's like so many scribbles and things scribbled out and written in. <laughs> Number four for me is a movie that I came, I I met really early on. And it was such a weird one because I wasn't into this era of movies at an early age, but this movie found me because again, I've mentioned this before, my trips to the library, I would just like, scour criterion movies i yeah at one point i was like oh if it's criterion it's probably worth seeing so i find the criterion movies leaf through and i found this one by a director that i had seen one movie at the time before and i really loved it it was a movie called the apartment and it was directed by billy wilder and this movie was selected by the criterion collection so i was like okay i better see it loved it at the time haven't seen it since this week. Rewatched it. It's called Ace in the Hole. Directed by Billy Wilder. Starring Kirk Douglas. In a performance from 1951. So we're talking. This is 70 years old basically at this yeah. point. At that point he would have been 33 something like that. Goodness. He recently died. He died this year right? I think so yeah. And he was 103. Which is we should all be so lucky. Insane to me. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway, this movie is so far ahead of its time; it's ridiculous. It's essentially a movie about a um, a journalist who used to work in New York and was a big shot, but lied and bullshitted so much, and people saw through him that he lost so many jobs. Tried to drum up, you know, false stories and got canned so many times that he just hit the road and penniless basically stops in Albuquerque, New Mexico and finds a small town paper and just goes in and basically demands a job. And this <laughs> guy's like, come on, man, why would I hire you? And he's like, cause I'll work for basically nothing, but I'm a shithead. And he like says it up front. This is a boring town, but I'm a piece of shit. Just take a chance on me. I'm going to try to do things that you probably won't like. That's how the movie starts. And in 1951, I'm thinking, how would audiences see this? And sure enough, when you research it, it failed. No one liked it. Really? Billy Wilder's first flop at the box office was this movie. Huh. But even, since then... Even with a big star like Kirk Douglas. Right. But since then, it's gained this big notoriety because this movie is entirely about... Kirk Douglas, when he gets the job, he, he kind of kind of scours the town, tries to find what can I do here? What what kind of news story can I create? And this man is is trapped in this cave uh, due to his job. He kind of gets trapped in there and he and he sees him and he and he finds out about this and he goes to interview this guy and he creates a story about why he's in there and reports it in the news and it's really one of the first media circus movies huh. what it can be before social media of course before all this how you could really drum up a false narrative and make not only the the community but the eventually the country believe that this is some something that it's not and it's about an egotistical person uh, uh, uh stepping out of their bounds and and doing things selfishly for financial gain and it is it is a um a movie that still kind of really is topical um and it's funny 
very funny. It sounds really depressing, but it's also a very <laughs> funny movie. And it's a, it's a Kirk Douglas performance where you're like, holy shit, this guy is a movie star. I mean, looking at it now, you could clearly see it because you already knew what he would become. Yeah. But when you're thinking about it 70 years ago, you're like, oh my God, how would anyone dare to make a movie like this? Um, so this is why I had to have it on my list. All right. Well, I'm adding this to my watch list. Then. You should. Yeah. Uh, number four for me is a film I love and I really wanted to put this in the top three, but I can't because the top three is stacked. Uh, number four for me is George Clooney's Good Night and Good Luck. Mm. Um, I, I watched this. This was a first time watch like la- this time last year, I think. Um, I don't oh. I think we were doing, we were doing black and white films of the 21st century. So- you had not seen it until this until this last last year. year. Wow, yeah. I did not know that. Um, I guess I forgot that. And man, I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it, and for for many many reasons. Um, Strathairn was nominated for this because well, well deserved. Well, he's fantastic in it. Did you know? So here here I am doing doing like oh some did you know time? Um, did you know George Clooney's father was a TV journalist in Cincinnati? Yeah, I did. Then Salt that. Lake City, then L.A., and then Buffalo. I did not know all those stops, but I did know that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that he was a TV personality. So clearly, you know, t- TV journalism is right up uh, uh, Clooney's alley. He has an interest, yeah. Um, so Clooney got paid a dollar each for writing, directing, and acting in this. And the film cost $7.5 million to make. He got injured uh, on the set of Syriana and uh, like a few months before this was scheduled to shoot. So he couldn't pass his physical in order to get insured. So he mortgaged his own house in LA in order to make this movie. And then um, Mark Cuban got involved and they, you know, invested money as well. Um, just, just kind of batshit, actually. That is fascinating. Um, so Strathairn nominated uh, Art Direction, Cinematography for Robert Ellswit. Clooney was nominated for Best Director. It was nominated for Best Picture. It was also nominated for Screenplay. Um, man, this thing's, it garnered a lot of nominations. I love that they made the decision to to do it in black and white. They shot it in color and then grayscaled it and then made the choice to do it in black and white. And I love it because it's 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 the perfect way to shoot this thing. Um yeah, the the whole cast is fantastic, but Strathairn really does like steal the show. And he's one of those guys that has been a fantastic character actor for Ugh. decades, but never really gets the due that he deserves. I mean, um he voices all the Indiana IU health commercials around here. <laughs> That's kind of nice. He came up in the John Sales group too. Yeah, he's of just, actors. He's so underrated. Um, he is and, always will be, unfortunately. And uh, I'm glad that this was someone like Clooney saw that and was like, "I'm going to give this guy the lead role in something big." That's that, my favorite part about this is that Clooney decided that this is going to be the Strathairn show. Yeah, because Clooney could have cast himself in the okay. Edward R. Moreau huh. role. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, either he knew that was a bit too much to bite off. I think so. Um, when also writing and directing it. Um, or he just knew that Strathairn was the man and could do it. And um, yeah, I just, I love how slick it is. I love the music. It's just a fantastic movie. I really, really like it. So that's number four for me. Cruising right along. We're handing out medals. I thought about that movie. It won't make my list, but I thought about it. I, I do figured. admire it. I still think it's Clooney's best directorial effort i'm probably gonna agree with you there yeah okay you're right medals it's time for bronze bronze here we go bronze for me is a movie that you alluded to earlier um 
in reference to being similar to all the president's men, I believe. And that's David Fincher's Zodiac. Uh, this is in my top 10 films of this century, easily for me. Um, as much as I like to make fun of David Fincher on this podcast, <laughs> because he's brought up almost every episode, <laughs> um, this is for, for my money, I would throw all, all in on this being his finest achievement. Um, this, this movie, I consider a news movie because the great majority of it, in my opinion, takes place either in the San Francisco Chronicle or includes m- employees of, of the paper. Yeah. Investigating or reporting throughout this entire movie. Yeah. I, I didn't include it on my list because I felt that it just barely didn't meet the criteria. And then when you were explaining why you had it on your list before we, before we got on mic, cause I was like, Hey, Zodiac doesn't count. Right. And you were like, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, and when you explained it, I was like, shit, he's right. Well, it's too late now. It's fine. It's why it's yeah. it's why every perspective is different. You know, but you're and, absolutely right. It does. Count. I mean, it's enough it, of it takes place in the offices and follows around two of the you know two of the main main characters are employees of the Chronicles. Right, and so this is why it's on my list. Um, I toyed around with it being even higher because I love this movie so much, and I think it's so I think it's a perfect movie. I think but, it's five stars and I think the rest of the movies on my list are five stars. So tell me wh- why, why do you, do you appreciate the mundane workman like nature of this film and not all the president's men? It's so much different in my opinion. There's, there's, I mean, uh, quite honestly, because Fincher knows how to add a style to where Pakula doesn't have a style in all the president's men. He simply is laying it out. Here's how it is. This is how it was done. And I can appreciate it to an extent. But in, in this, there's a there's a look to the movie. There's a feel to the movie. There is a more of a editorial pace to this movie. And quite frankly, a larger ensemble that's more entertaining. Past the first two main characters, you know. You've got so many people in this movie. Outside of Hall, Downey, and Ruffalo, you have... I mean... An Anthony, absurd amount of people. Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. You've got Chloe Sivigny in this movie. You've got Dermot Mulroney, who works at the paper as well. You've got John Carroll Lynch in this movie. Uh, Ioni Sky shows up randomly. There's a lot of people in this movie. But this is really just about Fincher's approach to this entire thing. How he bookends it with Hurdy Gurdy Man is impressive when that final bit of audio comes in at the end talk about sticking a landing to a movie oh my god and then there's the length this is one of the, this is one of the movies on this list where i think the length is absolutely deserved and merited it earns every moment of it because yes it's a it, it, this one spans decades as opposed to something like all the all the president's men this one actually does span decades and it shows you how it almost pretty much ruins people's lives as they're investigating this. I think it's one of the first times too that uh, Gyllenhaal was giving something really substantial. I mean, he was coming off of Brokeback Mountain shortly before this, but this was like a chance because he is, I don't think it's, you can't argue he's the main character in this. Yeah. Movie. If you had to pick one, it'd be him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's, that's a tough little bit to, to take. 
on. And I think he does achieve it. I think he achieves a success in here pretty well. But it's ultimately a Fincher thing. It's a Fincher showcase. And he... I I, I still... And, and, and I, I want to make this clear. I really like Fincher a lot. I, I, I mean, he's great. He's great. He's a great filmmaker. I just don't think he's made anything as good as this yet. Got plenty of time. But. Yeah. This is a perfect film. I think it is. And I think it gets lost in his filmography a little bit. I think if you did a poll, I think most people would consider either the social network or seven fight club above this movie. Yeah. There are a lot of cinephiles though that praise this film. So it does, it does have people in its corner like you. It's an excellent piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. What's Um, bronze for you? Well, oddly enough, bronze for me is all the president's men. Um, and oh, this is the one you have a lot yeah, of notes I do, on. I do have notes on it. Did you know that uh, Robert Redford bought the rights to the book, Woodward and Bernstein's book, for less than half a million dollars? And um, uh, uh, so he hired William Goldman to write it. And um, <laughs> Goldman said that Bob Woodward was extremely helpful, but Carl Bernstein was not. Well, it makes sense once you see the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Redford was not happy with Goldman's first draft. And then also Woodward and Bernstein read it. They didn't like it. <laughs> um, so then um, Redford asked for their suggestions, but Bernstein and his girlfriend, writer Nora Ephron, wrote their own draft. And then Redford takes that draft. He shows it to Goldman um, saying, you know, there might be some of the stuff that you could use in here. And um uh, Goldman called that a gutless betrayal. He was, oh. So he started fighting with Redford. Um, and then <laughs> Redford later said, you know, that the, the Nora Ephron Bernstein draft was kind of sophomoric and ended up going with, with Goldman's draft. And I don't know, it started a big old fight, you know, um, which I don't know. I think it's kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's it, it, ridiculous. But let's get into the casting because I think Jack Warden is somebody who really does actually keep this thing grounded. Great actor. Great he, actor. I, he's underrated. You know, I remember the Always first time I saw been. him. I think the first time I saw him was it was in the Herbie movies. Oh wow. One, one of the Herbie movies. Um Jason Robards man as Excellent. Ben as Ben Bradley. He is smooth. He's really, really smooth in this. Um Martin Balsam plays their editor. He's great at playing off of Hoffman and Redford. Um so Redford first picked Al Pacino to play Carl Bernstein. Um, and I think that's hilarious because Dustin Hoffman is great in this. And one of the things that I think Hoffman does really, really well in the film is, um, it seems like he's ad-libbing at times. Like the dialogue feels really natural. People at characters talking over each other, arguing in a really like natural looking way. Mm -hmm. And I think Hoffman is front and center with that. He, he's even better at that than, than Redford is, even though ultimately I think Redford's a better actor. Um, Robards was always. Redford's number one pick to play Ben Bradley. Um, others, though, considered for that role: Gene Hackman, Henry Fonda, Leslie Nielsen, Wow, Christopher Plummer, Burt Lancaster, Robert Mitchum, and Robert Stack of Unsolved Mysteries fame. <laughs> if you can believe that, um, I think the reason that I really like this movie a lot is for the same reason that you like that we both like Zodiac too. I like the workman like quality of it. Um, yeah, it is a little dry uh and it doesn't have a whole lot of like you know uh style when it comes to the directing but i do love 
the the way that they they show that you know journalism is hard it's a lot of hard work it's tedious and and you've got to do a lot of investigating and it's it's not easy you know and uh, i think that that uh, is something that i really appreciated from this um yeah i i i i really struggled with putting this at four and good night and good luck at three and i just thought we'd get we'd get endless backlash in our email inbox if i did that so <laughs> so all the presents minute yeah. number three for me god knows i've had a lot of emails about zohan so, oh uh, lord <laughs> all right number two <laughs> all right so yeah number two for me is uh a film that i've kind of it's one of those movies where i saw early on somehow i still don't know how i first saw this because it's not necessarily something you call a, a classic that people generally know about and want you to see you know it's not out there for you to see but i saw it at an early age and i've watched it three or four times since watched it again this week and it's still basically a perfect movie in my opinion and that's um the china syndrome Ooh. Directed by James Bridges and um, starring Jane Fonda, Michael Douglas, and Jack Lemmon. Wilford Brimley as well. Um, this movie is is uh, about a news anchor played by Jane Fonda, who's kind of she's she's got some success, but she's not really dug into that big story that she really is looking for and needs to get more notoriety and further her career in a very male driven world where she's fighting for every chance she can get. She, along with her cameraman played by Michael Douglas, who's the producer of this movie also, who was producing movies at a very young age. Yeah. He had produced, um, one flew with the cuckoo's nest before this. So he was a first and foremost was a, it's, it's, it's hard to even remember, but, was a producer like a successful producer way before he was a like a known actor wow um anyway those two go to this nuclear power plant to cover just the operations of the power plant and to talk to the the people on the ground level and they get a tour of the place and as they're kind of filming the control room filming a segment with the control room behind them there's something that is seems to be going wrong and um sure enough we see the perspective of the employees in the control room and it's and they're played by wilford brimley and jack lemon fun pairing and jack lemon is a guy who's been there a long time with as long as as well as brimley they know they're being filmed and they know there's something severely wrong something has caused some sort of error that seems like there's a dangerous eruption that could be happening at like a moment. nuclear meltdown yes oh yes. boy that could affect not only the community but a large area if this were to go further and you know things kind of go haywire and there's sirens and there's and so that so they get this all on film and douglas is filming this and and they have all this footage and they leave that day and they want to pursue it further. And this movie is, is essentially about what do we do with this? Can we investigate this further? And this movie is about how hard it is for them to do that because there's so many people higher than everyone else 
in the power plant with corporations that need to keep this kind of thing hush hush or whatnot. And they're basically told to don't go further with this with the news anchors, uh, with the news people to the head of the news company. They're like, leave this alone. Let's move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And Fonda is okay with that because she thinks that if she tries to jab at that, her career will be smashed where it's at and she won't be able to advance herself, which yeah. is understandable. But Michael Douglas's character pushes her and pushes her and pushes her. And then you get the second half of the movie and I won't give anything away because it's not really a well-known movie, even though it's 41 years old where Jack Lemon's character becomes the anchor of the movie and really his conscience gets to him and he contacts those two people in an effort to really get to the bottom of what's going on. Do some whistleblowing. Right. Yes. And Lemon is on fire in this movie. He is, he finds every right note possible. Um, I just got to say the second half of this movie is some of the most thrilling stuff. It's, it's amazing to watch to this day. It is. I've seen it four times. I think it's just as good every time I see it. So it, I toyed with it at number one, honestly. So I have two movies left. I have number two and then number one. And you only have one movie left. And I'm wondering if we have the same number one or if the movie I'm about to put at number two is your number one. Either way, I'm wondering which of these two movies is not going to make your list. My number two is Tom McCarthy's Spotlight. Mm, okay. Um, again, I toyed with this at number one, actually. This movie is fantastic i was pretty blown away when i first saw it you know shortly after it won best picture at the oscars mm-hmm. um you know just go through this list mark ruffalo rachel mcadams this was the first time i ever saw her in something and i was like holy shit she's actually good in this other than mean girls you know not dissimilar to what you said about elizabeth banks when you saw her in w exactly very yeah although she's way better in this than banks is yeah. in w well a lot more to do I, yeah. she's fantastic in this Michael Keaton, Liam Schreiber, who is extra, extra good in this too. He's underrated in this. Um, John Slattery, Brian Darcy James, Stanley Tucci, Billy Crudup. I mean, like, this is one hell of a cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, this is again another example of like uh, uh, the workman style um, uh, portrayal of, of print journalism. And how you really have to investigate a story if you're going to actually get to the bottom of it. Um, man. Uh, so, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. It won screenplay. Um, and it was nominated for Best Editing as well. Um, yeah, dude. I don't have a whole lot to say about this because it's the most recent of everything on my list. And I feel like everybody's seen it. and we've People have talked about it a ton. But um, I know Tom McCarthy was originally an actor first. He was. Um, you would not be able to tell by this film because it looks so good. I mean, it's lit really, really well. It's paced really well. It is. He, I, he just, he, he shoots these scenes and, and, like the indoor scenes look significantly different from locale to locale. Like the there's ballroom scenes and like glitzy galas that look and are lit really gorgeous. And then the drab offices and things like that really, you know, 
he he gets that really really right um outdoor stuff you know uh, he he shoots nature for lack of a better word really beautifully i i think it's a gorgeously directed film i i i'm a little surprised he didn't win best director that year too i don't know who won um but the one way in which you can tell that he used to be an actor or i guess he still is but um is he directs actors really very well really well look you don't have to give mark ruffalo a whole lot of direction that guy can just do it on his own it's phenomenal but what he gets out of rachel mcadams is i mean shocking honestly um uh i think Liam schreiber is a really good actor but this is one of the best things he's ever done i mean he is excellent he's very good in this and you can just tell that 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 uh uh McCarthy just has a really good rapport with his actors and really can get the most out of them um, in a way that a lot of directors who definitely choose style over substance just aren't are incapable of doing. Um, Spotlight is number two for me, and boy did I toy with it at number one. Yeah, I, but, but my number one is is a slam dunk. Oh, okay. And I'm wondering if we have the same number. We don't. Um, no, I don't think we do. I'd be shocked if we did. I just want to say about McCarthy, I don't know how much you've seen of him, but before Spotlight, I had seen a a number of other films he directed. And I think he was leading up to this all every step of the way. You know, I I remember first seeing the station agent with Peter Dinklage. I didn't see that, but I, and Patricia Clarkson. I heard so many good things about that. That and then he did the film with Richard Jenkins called The Visitor. I was really affected by that. Yeah, and then Jenkins Win-win, was nominated for that. And then Win Win with Paul Giamatti. I see. These are all McCarthy movies. I see. The one that I didn't see, he made in the same year as Spotlight. They got absolutely trashed. Was that Adam Sandler film called The Cobbler? Wait, Tom McCarthy did that? Yeah. Really? Same year as Spotlight. Amazing to me let's just forget that amazing to me anyway (laughs) gold for me yes a movie that i first saw maybe 2012 eight years ago and it was still very old very old movie uh this movie kind of made me realize how incredible burt lancaster is as an actor and that is the 1957 film sweet smell of success um, <laughs> Burt Lancaster is a ruthless Broadway columnist in this movie. Big shot New York guy, and he is just a bad person. He is so egotistical and he's so at the top of his game in every way, including financially, that he uses his pull to do whatever he wants. And there is a young dude who's trying to get to the top that he takes advantage of in this movie. <laughs> It is a performance by Tony Curtis in this role. Oh, wow. Um, who was coming off of a lot of pretty boy roles. Yeah. You know, like, can this guy really act? Kind of like a Zac Efron thing. If we were to compare now, like, can this guy really, or is he just a face? Like, yeah, yeah. So Tony Curtis plays this press agent who's like really hard on himself. I'm never going to get anywhere, but I'm, I've got all this energy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, he will not lay off of the Lancaster character. You got to give me opportunities. Put me in your columns. Let me have a column. Let me give me a column. And Lancaster sees this as an opportunity to take advantage of this guy to get what he wants, which is 
if you want me to promote you and bring you up in this world, you got to do this for me. You have to break up the potential marriage of my sister to this jazz guitarist that I can't stand this guy. <laughs> you need to step in and make sure that doesn't happen because I don't want to be the one responsible. I don't want to be the bad guy. Right. Okay. I already have a bad relationship with my sister. Yeah. And now she's trying to marry Django Reinhardt and I'm not going to have it. So, yeah. And so that's what this movie is essentially about. But what it really is, is something that was, again, like the, like the Wilder movie that I mentioned was so far ahead of its time is that these people are so power obsessed in their thrones that they get into and their positions that they get into that they descend into just awfulness as human beings but it's fascinating to watch and it's fascinating to watch it in this kind of movie so old and to watch it this week again see how it was like i i I can imagine aaron sorkin growing up watching this movie going i want to write like that i want to write like that i want to write like that because this is like sorkin dialogue but even better and, and and just crackles the whole way and lancaster and curtis in this are absolutely ridiculously good um it's uh it dives into the relationship with Lancaster and his sister too as it goes along and really shows you that this kind of life lived this way for so long does not pay off. Um, this movie pulls no punches. It's, it's, it's relentless and it doesn't let its characters off the hook. It's not in any way sugarcoated. It is an incredible look at just kind of glitzy New York journalism and it's great i think it's essential viewing i think it's a great film this has been on my watch list for quite a long time and um it's been on my list to give you for a throwback for a long time i feel bad that i didn't watch it all right what is number one on your news list i'm sure this doesn't come as a surprise sydney lumet's network okay um first time watch for me it was number seven for me was it okay uh, first time watch for me. Holy cow. Uh, let's dig in. Um, okay. In 2005, there's there's two writers guilds of America. They both voted it one of the 10 best screenplays in cinema history. Um, did you know this movie came out only two years after Christine Chubbuck's suicide on the air? Mm, and that's kind of what the film is about, right. where... Um, uh, 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 Howard Beale, our, our Peter Finch's character, um, he's, he gets sacked. He gets canned. Um, and he goes on the air and tells people, tune in next Wednesday. I'm going to kill myself live on the air. And everybody's like, wait, what did he just say? And all of a sudden, the ratings go through the roof. And his bosses all decide, well, maybe we shouldn't fire him. The ratings are great. Um, and he becomes a bit of like a, a TV prophet, sort of. You know, screaming at people, and it's got that classic line: um, "I'm, I'm mad, mad as, as hell, hell, and I'm not, not going to take, take it anymore." anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so let me hit you with this: Peter Finch ended up getting cast as Howard Beale. Here's who they considered first: Henry Fonda, Paul Newman, Cary Grant, and Jimmy Stewart. So the writer um, Chayefsky he wanted Paul Newman. Sidney Lumet wanted Henry Fonda. Fonda turned it down because it it was too hysterical for his taste, he said. And Jimmy Stewart objected to the language. Of course, <laughs> of course he, he did. did. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Um, 
And then there's the Max Schumacher character, um, which uh, is is pretty interesting as well. Walter Matthau and Gene Hackman were considered for that one. So early on, going back to Finch, producers were worried that uh, 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 about Finch being an Australian that he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to pull off the American thing too too um, convincingly. So they demanded that he audition. So he paid for his own plane tickets and listened to hours and hours of broadcasts and even read like the New York Times into a tape recorder. Um, and he ended up talking to Sidney Lumet about that. And that's actually what sealed the deal. For, Interesting. For Lumet. Yeah. Um, so Ned Beatty, who I think is great in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was cast on the recommendation of Robert Altman after um, the previous actor that they had cast had quote, failed to live up to Lumet's standards. I love so it. So Altman told him that he should cast Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty comes in. He had one night to prepare for this four-page speech that he did. And he finished shooting after just one day. He was only on set for one day. Incredible. Um, Beatty's, Beatty's little you know four-page speech, his monologue in this, is fantastic. Because up to that point, um, Peter Finch's character, Howard Beale, has done all of the ranting and raving and screaming in every scene. And then he comes and sits down in this long boardroom and Beatty just uh, doubles down on the ranting and raving. And it's, it's pretty fantastic. Um, so let's talk Faye Dunaway. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I honestly haven't seen Faye Faye Dunaway in a ton of stuff because I've not seen nearly as much, you know, 70 cinema as you have. Um, so yeah, I was pretty I was pretty interested by this. So they originally wanted Candace Bergen, Ellen Bernstein, Natalie Wood, that sort of thing. The studio wanted Jane Fonda and Diane Keaton. <laughs> uh, Lumet wanted to go with Vanessa Redgrave, ah. but Chayefsky didn't want her, the writer. Um, and Lumet argues that she was the greatest English speaking actress in the world. And so Chayefsky, who's a proud Jew and a supporter of Israel, objected on the basis of her support of the PLO. And Lumet, who's also Jewish, said. Patty, that's blacklisting. And Chayefsky <laughs> says, not when a Jew does it to a Gentile. <laughs> so I don't know. I just <laughs> found that particularly hilarious. Um, Robert Duvall, very, very, very good in this. He's he is. slimy in this thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was just kind of blown away by this. I, I went to school for broadcast journalism, specifically TV and radio. And so uh, that's why I had to put a TV film at mm-hmm. number one on my list just because you know i'm biased um finch is phenomenal he's phenomenal i can't believe that they were concerned about casting someone else <laughs> he's incredible in this thing um he was the first person to win a posthumous oscar mm. until he did not Le- know that until okay. Heath ledger did um also beatrice Strait won best supporting actress for this hmm. she plays his wife right um, or Max Schumacher's wife, rather. Um, her role was only five minutes and two seconds of screen time. She it's, won an Oscar for this. It's the shortest Oscar-winning performance to date, still to this day. Viola Davis had more time in Doubt? No, she didn't win. For she Doubt. didn't win. She was nominated. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, five minutes and two seconds. And she, she won. won. A, and she won an Oscar for it. It's one scene. Amazing. Yeah. Um, just, this is just a banger, man. I can't argue. It's a great film. It's, it's just... it's. It's really funny because it is mm-hmm. clearly satire. Oh, yeah. At top at times I thought it's a little over the top. But I think what they're saying and how prescient it was too, especially looking back on it now. Um, that's why I had to give it the number one spot because it's 
the satire is so biting and it's so like darkly funny um yeah i just that's why i gave it number one but, can, can you see now 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 that you've seen it can you see the influence it had on joker the todd phillips film joker in ways at times i definitely in can. scenes yes i definitely can either it's a clear homage or there's a direct kind of like influence you mentioned um in the in our intro that this was a much better crop of films than last week <laughs> yeah boy was it ever i mean there was the film that that i gave number one to last week frost nixon i thought for sure was going to make this list nope and in fact it was pretty high when i did my preliminary list and no it's it, it barely would have made my top 10 probably yeah that's how good agreed this crop of films is yeah i mean because there's there's a couple here that i'm surprised didn't make my list like i've always had a fondness for the barry levinson film wag the dog yep like it a lot um ron howard's the paper i don't yep. know if you watched that but it is very good um nightcrawler the yeah jake gyllenhaal mm -hmm. i thought about that one too yeah that's a movie that i loved when it first came out and my recent rewatches on it are just like it loses a little bit. Yeah. Slightly. Not the performance. That performance no. is stunning. Yeah. But the movie itself, there's something about it that I don't love, love anymore. The Insider Counts. I know. I thought Michael that, Mann. That was on my list for a little while too. Another one that I did rewatch, Shattered Glass. I came very close to rewatching that. The rewatch had me lighten on it. Um, the, the direction is, it leaves something to be desired. Sarsgaard I forgot how good he is in that. He's the best part of the film. It, it may be Christensen's best performance, well, but Sarsgaard is the best in it. I, I remember I had to watch that in my senior year of college for like journalistic ethics class. And I was like, oh, holy shit, this is really good. And I was going to rewatch it this week, but I just didn't get around to it. So I think we were so enamored with that performance because he had never been good in anything. But when I watch it now, I'm just like, he's just okay. Mm -hmm. And he's just trying really hard, but... Back then, we were like, he's so bad. Oh, wait, but in this, he's pretty good. Yeah. So it seemed better than it was. Yeah. But yeah, this is, um, I mean, I, I even rewatched um, State of Play, mm -hmm. a Russell Crowe film, which Rachel McAdams is in, and she kind of got her legwork in a little bit for Spotlight for later on. Um, but yeah, what a good category. Yeah, a great category. One of the best <laughs> ones we've had in a long time. Yeah. Um. We're approaching that 75 minute mark. Oh, right. well, of course we are. Um, so <laughs> to the throwback challenge, shall we? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Listener Eric Sperlin gave us a film that he had come across just very randomly um, and was pretty blown away with. He, I saw him today and he asked me, what'd you think of the movie? And I said, I'm not telling you because you're going to have to listen <laughs> to the episode to find out. And um, the film is Solace from 2015. I forget the director's name do you have it we'll find it do you have it on you um mainly it stars uh anthony hopkins and jeffrey dean morgan yes and uh forgive me the woman, abby cornish abby cornish yes and then colin farrell shows up he shows as up well much later um, on i gotta tell you one of the reasons i didn't want to tell eric what i thought of the film is because he liked it so much he thought it was a really great surprise I hated this fucking thing. I feel terrible. Eric. I love you, Eric. Eric, listen. I'm sorry. I have to. I'm honest on this show. That's what I am. I have to be. I can't help it. But I have to. I have to know. Write us in. 
tell us what kind of state you were in when you were watching this movie because i don't know what kind of movie you were watching did he watch the same movie we did maybe I was he know. on psychedelics maybe he was on psychedelics you have to be on something because this is like a stretched out version of a really bad tv show like I, I mean, I'm sorry. That's the that's the best thing I can. Uh, that's the best description I can give of it. Yeah, yeah, and not even like a a cable TV show. We're talking like no, we're talking we're ta- yeah, network, we're talking like ABC, something CBS. with David Caruso. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like yeah. I mean, you know what? The setup is fine. I would have been on board. It's like something like yeah, it's not unlike sound- Hopkins has done before. Like um, that movie he did with Ryan Gosling. Um, fracture fracture that had kind of ridiculous setup but i was on board and the, mm-hmm. the execution was fine sure this though while hopkins i would say is good in it he's solid he's there and he's, he's solid he's fine the oh man where do i start with the problems the immediate immediately the first scene of the movie the writing is atrocious it's like this <laughs> This is the movie reminded me of those scenes in Forgetting Sarah Marshall of the show that Jason Siegel is scoring where yes. like Billy yes. Baldwin yes. is like the main character and he's like, looks like it's going to be hard for, win the, for her to win the pageant without a face. <laughs> it does and, feel that way. And so they have these lines and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who he's bad in this. See, I don't think he's that bad in oh, this. Oh man. All things considered. I feel bad for him in this. That's more the way I felt because he has to say so many things in this that are just like, oh yeah. The dialogue that he's asked to deliver is actually worse than Hopkins. Everything he says is to advance something along in the story and it's just rough to watch. So, and a lot of the things too, when they, when the, when the agents visit a crime scene after someone's been killed, like, Hmm, what's this number three? Yeah, it's the third one or something like this is not things that are happening. These are not things that are happening. I I wrote in my notes, really awful dialogue, like exceptionally bad. And we're not even to the worst part. No, we aren't. Are you talking about the directing? We are talking about when you get into the psychic viewing visions of Anthony Hopkins. he, The stylistic choices that are made very often in this movie very often yes. i want to say half the movie <sighs> i've i've thought a lot about this exact topic this exact issue um i i will say uh, uh, look uh, i i don't have any suggestions for you if you're a director and you want to make a movie about psychics psychics doing anything let uh-huh. alone let alone tracking down a serial killer I guess I, I don't have any advice of how to do it any better, like how to how to show that right. on film. I just know that this ain't it. It's not it. You know, I, 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 maybe you should just, maybe people just shouldn't make movies about psychics. I don't know because how else, I, I don't know how to tell you how else to do it, but this is not it. It, it feels, the directing is batshit. It feels it's like bad. it was... It feels like it was directed by three different people, but none of them consulted one another. <laughs> yeah. Like like it was a challenge or something, and they're like, all right, we're going to direct this, mm-hmm. but don't tell me what you're doing, and I won't tell you what I'm doing. And then we'll splice it all together. And neither of us is going to talk to Rick, because we don't want him to know yeah, either. Right. You know, it's, yeah, it, it seemed like that. Like, like it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's got that really choppy editing, the really like music video style from time to time as well. The slow motion's bad. Yeah, man. So when you take two of the most important aspects of filmmaking, writing and directing, and they're both, I'm sorry, Eric. Bad. Abysmal. This movie did not have much of a chance starting. 
And then you meet a Colin Farrell halfway through. And we both really like Colin Farrell. And I would say he's not bad in this. Given what he's given to do, Again, it's not his fault. He isn't bad in it, but man, he's not given much to work with. Again, I will say the idea of his motives could have been handled better in a, in a different kind of movie because it is kind of interesting. The reason he kills in this movie yeah, could have been made into a fun, campy, ridiculous, effective movie in different hands. But that's not what they're making. They're not no, making they're not, a not fun, campy thing. He's no. t- It's super like very self-serious. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just tonally it really, really misses the mark. The backstories that they shove down your throat with these characters, especially, oh. honestly, with the Abby Cornish character, we can get into that part too. It's unfortunate for her and unfortunate for women in this movie, to be honest. They're they're objectified. There is a scene where a woman gets killed in this movie and there's like a full minute long slow motion shot of this woman undressing and getting into a bathtub. And there's like five of her. There's like, like eight of her. And it's she's crazy. like a supermodel. And they're like, admire this the look of this woman for like a full minute here. It's like, what is the point of this scene? Other, Other than, than the- to show you a fully nude woman walking around in a room, uh, like eight of her. <laughs> yeah, it's really just there for the male gaze. It is, it is. And yeah. so is Abby Cornish because no agent dresses like this. Like, it, it's kind of it's kind of awkward because she's kind of there to look immaculate. Are you ready to get your mind blown? <laughs> All right. Sure, let's go. At one point, the script was picked up by New Line Cinema and intended to be rewritten as a sequel to Seven entitled <laughs> Eight, with the G being the, the letter eight or the number eight. I swear to God, with Morgan Freeman returning as Detective William Somerset, who would have developed psychic powers. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. No, I believe this. This was going to be a sequel to Seven entitled Eight, and Morgan Freeman's character would reprise his role and have developed psychic powers. The idea was eventually dropped when Seven director David Fincher responded very negatively to the film, to the idea, and the film was subsequently (laughs) rewritten as a standalone project. (laughs) So I knew this took a long time to get to distribution that's why and you know it doesn't surprise me this went directly to video this yeah. movie did i can't believe they got anthony hopkins there's the bones of a decent movie here it's like an episode of bones but that but but yeah exactly but those bones are buried <laughs> they're buried deep under the ground and no. not even a psychic detective could find them again sorry eric i hope this doesn't disappoint you too much but man this was and and I got to tell you, before we started recording, I asked you, did you watch this free with ads? Because it makes it even worse. <laughs> because every 10 minutes or so, commercials come up and you're like, I want this fucking movie to end. <laughs> and I don't have to sit through all these commercials. This movie's one hour and 41 minutes. It was two hours exactly with all the commercials. So oh, I had to God. watch 20 minutes of commercials mixed in with throughout this movie. And it was very hard to watch. Yeah, this movie almost made me start drinking again. It is. I don't blame you. (laughs) I started drinking more than I already do. I I hope that this doesn't discourage Eric or anyone else. No, seriously, because I write back into the show. I think we need to talk about more bad movies on this podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) It's 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 this it's the strange line that we need to try and straddle between utilizing the criterion channel more mm-hmm. and let's not just talk about good movies right i yeah. very much appreciate eric giving us this movie absolutely i just i hope he's not upset that we had a adverse reaction to it <sighs> that's putting it lightly this is 
I'll, so, I'll end with this. This is one of the worst movies we've talked about on this podcast. I'll I'll take it one step further. I may have liked The Fanatic more than this. I think you did because you <laughs> at least complimented the direction a little more. I'm giving this one star. I'll be gracious and give it one star. <laughs> it's being gracious. <laughs> it's not good, man. Oh my god! It's not even bad. It's worse than that. It's it's appallingly bad. It's, it's yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, that's our show for today. We're running long, so we're going to get out of here. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic and Apple Podcasts. Leave a review and a generous rating if you feel so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to find your podcasts. Send your suggestion to the Throwback Challenge, just like Eric did. We don't care if it's good or bad. Just give it to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, thefilmharmonic at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with the newest Netflix award contender, The Life Ahead. It's a comeback performance from silver screen legend Sophia Loren that has been garnering her some praise. Haven't seen her since grumpier old men. I, I, I don't remember the last time I saw yeah. her. And then we're also keeping an eye on the films Jingle Jangle. That's a maybe for me and a hell no for Andy. <laughs> so if if I do do that one, that's going to be five good questions. And then festival favorite The Climb, depending on its availability, that one tore up the festival circuit and it's yeah. supposed to be a really original, unique idea. Hopefully so, we can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And for our pick six segment, we take the concept of our past entry of best child performances and press fast forward. We'll task ourselves with ranking the six best performances by actors over 70 years of age of all time. We don't call it a challenge for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah, you you pitched this idea to me the other day and I had never thought of it. And I was like, shit, that's a great idea. And then I started researching it mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. It should be. And yeah. a lot of maybe revisiting or first time watching. There's a couple of revisits that I am looking forward to rewatching. Also that my significant other has never seen. Perfect. And so I'm like, you're going to sit down and watch a couple of these. I haven't researched it yet, but I'm probably going to find some like that too. Yeah. Um, and then for our throwback challenge, Christian Tibbs has demanded that we finally cross off a glaring omission from our collective watch list. The Orson Welles classic noir, The Third Man. So a fitting selection for what many cinephiles are cleverly calling Noir-vember. Perfect. We are so. in Noir month. Um, it's funny to watch this now because I think we're also going to rewatch Citizen Kane before we watch Mank as well. Yeah, it only makes sense yeah. to do that. So yeah. a lot of Orson Welles this month. A lot of people would have argued that Citizen Kane would have been eligible for today's today's list. I thought that was going to be your number one when you were touting it. When you're you're building up your number one, it's an obvious and it's an obvious choice. Yeah, I just thought it was a little too on the nose. I'll have, I mean, we can talk about that movie sometime, I guess. I just don't, I'm not. We will talk about it when Mank comes out. We'll talk about it. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to talk about it on a list. I'll just say that I'm not as high on it as everyone else. Mankind. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, we definitely will see you next time. We're going to see you. This is one of our longest episodes. Um, <laughs> of course it is. We're at, we're, we're close to an hour and a half. We had all the facts on these, the picks on the pick six. I, I took pages of notes. Right. I, yeah. I got this new notebook that you put in the microwave. It's a whole story. You know, um, it and happens. so I, I got excited. I wanted to use it. I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. We nuked hole. this episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you next time. Yeah. We'll see you. Yeah. All right. On the film.
Brace. Substitute.